You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is from Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so the other day, uh, I was behind an ambulance driving in the direction of my home, and at first... It was amazing because you just are catching all of the green lights, um, you know, just mildly above the speed limit, but not too far above the speed limit, but you, just every green light, just following it. And then uh, as we got closer to my house, I had this sort of sinking feeling like, oh my gosh, this ambulance is headed to my house. And just at the last minute, I went to turn one direction and it kept going. And immediately I felt like this sense of like, relief, immediate calm, all my anxiety is gone. But then I felt another strange emotion, and it was a little bit of, like, guilt. Because I thought to myself, I was so deeply concerned about this ambulance headed in the direction of my home, and then so, like, profoundly relieved the moment that I realized that it's going to someone else who is still suffering, whether or not it's my home or not. On one hand, this is extremely natural. Our capacity to care is extremely limited. My reservoir for caring, while it may be deep for the people that I love, in fact, I would die for the people that I love, on a broader scale, it's actually pretty shallow. Our capacity to care is very limited. This is why our our constant exposure to news feeds takes such a toll, a serious toll on our emotional health. It's because we're limited. And by nature, we are not designed to feel so deeply about so many issues in so many different places of the world in such a deep, continuous way. It's just straining. Advent is an opportunity to admit our limitations. To say, just quite frankly, I am so limited. But it's also an opportunity to be reminded again of how deeply Jesus feels for us, how deep Christ's love is for us. He is endless in his reservoirs of care and compassion and love. He is not limited in his love as the scriptures describe. He is abounding in steadfast love. He is boundless in love. And this Advent season, we've been looking at these different dimensions of Jesus's love, as Paul describes here in Ephesians chapter three. We looked 
at the breadth or the width of Christ's love. We looked at the length of Christ's love. Last week we looked at the height. And then today we're going to look and conclude this series by looking at the depth of Christ's love. And by answering this question essentially, how deep is Christ's love for us? How deep is Christ's love? And as we'll see today, it's a love that reaches to the depths of our souls, to the depths of our sorrows, to the depths of our sin, and to the depths of our suffering. So if you're taking notes, let's look first at a love that reaches to the depths of our souls. Now what we celebrate every Advent season is the incarnation of Jesus. Every year I ask my kids, what does incarnation mean? And they're like, ah. And so, like we sound it out, incarnate meat. Oh, okay, let's go with that. Jesus takes on flesh and dwells among us. Christmas means that God went to infinite lengths to come near to us. But how near? How near has Christ drawn to us? And I guess the question for us is how closely or how intimately are we willing to experience him as he draws near to us? These are the questions that we have to explore often in every season of life, especially for those of us who are familiar with the Christmas story, especially for those of us who are quite content to just be warmed in our hearts by the memories of Christmas but aren't actually experiencing Jesus Christ in the depths of our souls. So how near? How near? Well, this is where it gets personal. Jesus is nearer to ourselves, nearer to us, rather, than we are to ourselves. It's what St. Augustine uh, prayed in his great confessions. Lord, you were more inward to me than my own inward part. Closer to me than I am to myself. The prayer that Paul makes for us believers here in Ephesians goes like this, starting in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit, where? In your inner being, so that Christ may dwell, where? In your heart through faith. So the aim of this prayer is that as Jesus resides within us through faith, that the Spirit would then increase our capacity to recognize and experience him there in the depths of our souls, in our inner being. The deep places where your fears, your secrets, your insecurities your inordinate desires, your forgotten dreams, your emotional wounds reside. See, the places within that we often avoid are the very places that Jesus moves close to. Did you know that some historians believe that Jesus wasn't actually born in a stable, but in a cave? I told my kids this, I remember telling my kids this, and it was like their first real experience of Christian deconstruction. They're like, if we can't believe the stable, what is there to believe? I drove past the Spanos compound the other day. I was like, someone's going to have to let them know that that nativity needs an update. It wasn't a stable. It was a cave. Why does that matter? Well, from day one, we see that Jesus is not afraid to reside in cavernous places. 
the unreached, the uninhabited, the dark, lifeless, off-limits, locked-up places of our souls are the very places that Jesus desires to move toward and commune with us. Eddie Hillison once said, there's a really deep well inside me, and in it dwells God. And sometimes I am there too. For the Christian, Jesus is meeting you in the depths of your soul. He is already there. I think about the psalmist saying, where can I go from your presence? There's nowhere I can go to escape your presence. Jesus is already there. The question for us is, are you meeting him there? Are you there too? And in order to meet him there, we have to scrap the sort of nativity scene expectations that we have in our minds. As one author, Amy Julia Becker, put it, to stay in God's presence is like swimming in the ocean. Immense, frightening, powerful, beautiful. Where deep calls to deep, where answers don't come easily, where pain is exposed rather than covered up, where healing requires transformation. So the process of emotional healing, the process of spiritual growth, the process, process of experiencing change in our life depends on the kind of faith that recognizes Jesus in the depths and then is willing to be there with him. The kind of faith that is willing to face the dark places within with honesty and confession. The places within where Jesus is already at work, whether you recognize it or not. The second thing we'll look at today is that Christ's love reaches to the depths of our sorrows, to the depths of our sorrows. In order to experience Jesus in our depths, we have to recognize what Jesus experienced for us. The incarnation means that Jesus came to us in order to face everything that we will experience in our human experience, everything, every weakness, every hurt, every temptation, every sorrow. I love the way that Dorothy Sayers put it. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping, which you're going to experience, I'm sure, this Christmas season, by the way, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. You name it, Christ has experienced it. There's an old spiritual that was sort of like, it resurfaced and was made popular through uh, Louis Armstrong and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It goes something like this. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down, sometimes I'm almost to the ground. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows but Jesus. And those are simple statements, but it's actually a very profound truth. That when we find ourselves in very unique situations, it's very easy to think, I'm the only one. I'm sure that I'm the only one that knows what this pain is like. Nobody knows what it's like to experience this right now. The hurt of betrayal. 
the feeling of loneliness, the sting of abandonment, the sorrow of oppression. Maybe you're facing terminal illness. Maybe you're in sorrow over the loss of a loved one, the unspeakable sorrow where you're not even able to put the pain into words. While it may be very unique to you, you are not alone in it. And in those moments, the scriptures remind us that Jesus knows. And not just intellectually, like from some ivory tower in heaven with heavenly perspective seeing you, Jesus knows experientially The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, since the children have flesh and blood, he, speaking of Jesus, too shared in their humanity. He's been there. He's experienced it. Jesus went through the whole of our human experience, unsheltered from all of the aches and the pains and the sadness that comes with being alive. He became fully human in every single way so that, as Hebrews goes on to tell us, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, sympathetic, caring, compassionate, and able to meet us in the depths of our sorrows. You may be alone in it, but you're not alone in it because Christ is there. And not just so that he can be there present, like a warm body in your suffering, but in order to be a present help, to support us, to shoulder those sorrows for us. This is what Isaiah prophesied of hundreds of years before the incarnation, prophesying of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He said this, he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our what? Our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So to experience the depth of Christ's love, we have to recognize Jesus as the man of sorrows. We have to imagine Jesus as the man of sorrows, which is going to run against all of our sort of chipper ideas of Jesus, especially around the Christmas season. This is a time of joy. This is a time of hope. Don't be talking about no man of sorrows. But Isaiah identifies Jesus as a sorrow-stricken Man, not because he was naturally sort of sad or mopey or had a disposition towards dark things and painted his fingernails black in high school or something like that, but because he willingly entered into our pain so that he could carry it for us. Amen? Third, you guys still with me? Okay. Christ's love reaches to the depths of our sin. To the depths of our sin. Why did Jesus come to earth? Like, we're so busy talking about Jesus coming to earth. Why did he come? And specifically, why did he have to be born in the likeness of man? Why become human? Why this step? Why was this necessary? And you see, the Christmas story is actually quite shallow if we don't acknowledge this truth, that Jesus came to earth, Jesus became human, 
to be plunged into the depths of our sin. 2 Corinthians 5 says that for our sake, he, speaking of God, made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus identifies so closely with us that he not only took on our humanity, but he took on our sinful humanity, not just our form, but our fate so that we could be delivered from sin and made righteous before God. John Stott explains this wonderfully, so I'll just quote him here. He said, for the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts him where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. What a good God. What a story. The Bible tells us that Jesus was absolutely sinless. He was tempted, but without sin. Jesus is righteous, he is holy, he lived with absolute integrity before God and man in private and in public. Throughout the gospels we see these various groups trying to dig up dirt on Jesus, trying to find something that they can trap him in and condemn him, and yet they found nothing to hold against him. He honored the law of God. He fulfilled all of its requirement, requirements. He lived righteous before God and man every moment of his life from the very beginning. Yet in love, the Bible tells us that he bore the weight of our sin. He who knew no sin, takes on the shame of our sin. He takes on the curse. He takes on the punishment. He gets our sins so that through repentance and faith, we could receive his holiness. So that as Romans 8 tells us, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And so what this means is that although our sin runs deep, and man does it run deep, Christ's love runs deeper, always. There is no depth of sin that Jesus is unwilling to plunge into, to raise us up out of it. There is no situation too broken. There is no situation too embarrassing or too dirty or too shameful or too egregious for him to meet those who repent. No sin too deep for Jesus to meet us with grace and forgiveness and kindness and healing love. Amen? Let's look finally at Christ's love reaches to the depths of our suffering. To the depths of our suffering. September 1940, which positions us in what era? World War II. September 1940 a captain of the Polish military named Wawolt Politsky set out on a mission that would impact the world forever. In his own words, quote, I bid farewell to everything I knew on earth. And what he did was that he assumed a Jewish, he was a Polish man, but he assumed a Jewish name and a Jewish identity and allowed himself to become arrested. He willingly subjected himself to life within a camp that was little, wasn't very known at that time, but would become very known today called Auschwitz. 
And he intentionally entered into the depths of suffering so that he could gain important intel and then relay that to the allied troops outside. And the transformation was striking from a recognized captain to inmate number 4859. Crossing into enemy territory, being among those who were enslaved and dying, he was despised, he was beaten, he was threatened, he was at the brink of death. And there he spent years with these people until finally escaping. And one author that I was reading as they were retelling the story of this captain, they put it this way, that his mission was one that went past the gates of horror and into hell on earth for the sake of many. And as I was reading that account, those, each word just bounced off the pages to me. One that went past the gates of horror and into hell on earth for the sake of many. Does this sound familiar? This illustrates the final dimension that Paul is describing here. This describes the depth of Christ's love for us. Jesus bid farewell to everything he had known. Jesus assumed a Jewish identity, the son of a poor Jewish family. Jesus crossed over enemy lines to be despised and beaten, not just at the brink of death, but all the way into death, past the gates of horror and into hell for the sake of many. I'm reminded of the Apostles' Creed that binds us with other believers throughout time and space. And in the Apostles' Creed, we read this. We confess this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Here's where Christmas comes in. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. But we don't stop there. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. We don't stop there. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. There's a line in there that's been sticky for a lot of believers for hundreds and hundreds of years. Any guesses what that line is? He descended to hell. There have been a lot of discussions about what that exactly means and I'm just gonna be honest, I don't have the chops or the credentials to really like clarify today but I'll tell you this in the eastern Christian in eastern uh, Christian expressions like the the orthodox church they have art that depicts Jesus literally storming the gates of hell pounding at the gates of hell sometime between his death and his resurrection some of the reformers believe that Jesus experienced hell itself on the cross And while I, nor can you, be certain what the apostles intended by this statement, we do know from the scriptures that Jesus descended. Ephesians 4 says that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. 1 Peter 3 says that Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Revelation chapter 1 says that Jesus died and then he rose with the keys to death in Hades into the depths for us, and then rising back out. We tell our kids things like, I love you to the moon and back, which is obviously hyperbolic. I don't think there's anyone here that can jump over two feet. (laughs) I love you to the moon and back. What an exaggeration, but the gospel of Jesus announces to us this. 
that he loves us to the grave and back. That he loves us to hell and back. See, the hard news that we have to receive and accept and believe this Christmas is that every single one of us deserves hell. The gospel is emptied of its beauty and its power without this. Every single one of us deserves hell because of our sin and our rebellion towards God. We deserve eternal suffering. But the good news is that in his suffering, Jesus experienced hell in our place. He didn't just take sin, he took the punishment of sin. He didn't just take suffering, he took eternal suffering. And so this brings us back to our original question. Maybe deeper than we were intending to go this morning. How deep is Christ's love? What the gospel tells us is that his love is deeper than the deepest pit of hell. And since he loves us to hell and back, what we can be sure of this morning is that there's nothing that he will be unwilling to do to rescue us again and again and again, and again. He's in too deep. He's too infested now. No depths he'll be unwilling to plunge into to meet us and to love us and to raise us up out of it according to his grace. He doesn't just love you to the moon and back. He loves you to hell and back and further still. And so what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us this Christmas season? What does this mean for us, Reality Church? Well, there's a lot of ways that we could apply this today, but I believe one is this. Christmas shows us that the way to rise in the kingdom of God is to actually descend. The way up is down. Jesus descended into the depths. And then, Philippians 2 tells us, then he was exalted by the Father. And Jesus now calls us to humbly go with him, to descend. And it's interesting because Paul models this for us immediately as he begins this prayer, verse 14, for this reason I what? I bow. We theorize that too much. We've sentimentalized the the postures of worship that we see in scripture. I'm bowing in my heart. No, (laughs) he bows, he gets low. What Paul is saying is, in light of the gospel of Jesus, I can't help but get low. Guys, we spend so much time thinking about how to rise, how to rise to the top, how to make it to the top of the org chart, how to be the first in our class, how to win, how to come out ahead. The dream of upward mobility is so ingrained in us. But the way of Jesus is completely opposite. It's downward mobility. It's going to the bottom. It's choosing the last place. It's caring for the least of these. It's humility. It's, as Paul says, boasting in my weakness. What that ambulance reminded me of that day was that while my capacity to love deeply is actually very shallow, that Jesus's love runs deeper. And it's this same Jesus that now shares his love with us. 
It's the same Jesus who now intends to grow our love in him, to expand us in our depths, to fill us with the fullness of God. How? Verse 20 says, according to the power at work within us. How could any of us just try to love more? Go love more. Good luck. We are dependent on the powerful work of the Holy Spirit within us to expand us beyond our natural capacity to love. And the hope here is that this is exactly what Paul prays for. And Paul prays for this because this is exactly what God intends to do for his people. And it's only after we are enabled to experience Jesus' love within us that we can then effectively go love each other well. It's really interesting that this portion, we're not looking at the whole book of Ephesians, so you'll have to go read it in your own time. But this is smack dab in the middle of Ephesians. And this portion right here is right before Paul jumps into some very practical instructions about how we are to love others well in Ephesians chapter 4. But before he gets there, before he tells us what it looks like to love others well, he has one final appeal to motivate us and then launch us toward unity and launch us toward caring for one another and launch us toward loving others well. His final appeal is this. And I guess it's my final Advent appeal to you as well. Stare deeply into Christ's love. Get lost in holy amazement at such unspeakable love. Amen? Father, thank you for...